Good morning, my relatives. It is about almost 11 o'clock Eastern time. I'm starting a few minutes late, but I'm sitting down with my second cup of coffee. Excuse me. And I wanted to uh, uh, talk with you today. Sorry about that. I got a little distracted there. I want to talk with you today. Today is the International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples. Um, and I want to have a short discussion about that and then talk about AI versus the work indigenous people are doing to protect the environment and to really discuss the divergent values and worldviews of indigenous versus colonial cultures. And so I want to have that discussion today. But before I begin, I want to do as I always do, which is acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from what's now called Washington, D.C. And these are the traditional lands of the Piscataway. And I want to honor the Piscataway as the host people of the land where I'm living. I want to thank them for their stewardship of these lands. And I want to just state how humbled I am to be living on these lands today. Um, so let me share this one article with you. And for those of you who are on with me, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, but here is an article on Native News Online, which is talking about uh, the International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples. And I just want to read a few lines from this article. Um, it says, this day serves as a reminder to preserve and celebrate the rich culture, heritage, traditions, languages, and wisdom that Indigenous people bring to the world. As Indigenous people... Um, as well as it is an opportunity to foster solidarity among indigenous people and raise awareness for the violations of indigenous rights. The article also identifies that according to the UN, there are an estimated 476 million indigenous peoples in the world uh, across 90 countries. And while we make up less than 5% of the world's population, we make up more than 15% of the poorest of the world's population. We also speak an overwhelming majority of the world's estimated 7,000 languages and represent 5,000 different and unique cultures. And so, yeah, when we talk about the diversity of the world, it's indigenous people that make this world so incredibly diverse, right? And our languages that we speak and the cultures that we celebrate. And, and these are the very things that Western society is working so hard to, to strip down and, and to remove, to assimilate us to their majority culture ways. And so, right, there's, there's so many things that, that um, indigenous peoples just, our existence is a form of protest, right? It's a form of, of uh, fighting back against the colonial, colonialism of our globe. And the theme of this year's International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples is Indigenous Youth as Agents of Change for Self-Determination. And so there's going to be events going on online. I think the UN is having a virtual event today. If you actually go to the article that I posted from Native News Online, there's a way that you can access the virtual event going on at the UN today. Um, but yeah, I, I encourage you to, to look out and, and read and, and stay connected with what's going on today. There's a lot of stuff that are happening throughout the day. Um, now, the conversation I want to have today is we've been hearing a ton in the past several weeks and months about artificial intelligence, right? It's kind of taken over um, one of the main themes of the, of the national, even global media. 
Um, it hasn't been something that's always been in the headlines, but there's been a lot of rapid development changes going on, even in the past year, with uh, the, the the bringing of AIs online and and ChatGPT and other things like that, and it's bringing in some very different things that we have not had before, and it's causing a lot of questions and a lot of concerns. And so I've been trying to stay on top of it, right? I actually did try using ChatGBT a few months ago and uh, played around with that for a little bit. Um, I've talked to some people who are using AI in their work and in their professions to um, enhance some of the work that they're doing. And of course, I've been staying on top of all the debate and the, the, the fear of the threats that are coming from AI and the discussions around that, both legislatively as well as from the industry itself. Um, and <laughs> I decided to take a few hours over the weekend and these past few days to digest a ton of information um, about AI, just to find out where the discussion is, what's going on, what are the things we really need to be concerned about and talking about and looking at. And I'm going to give you a lot of resources in the next 20 to 30 minutes, um, because there's a lot of articles that I've been reading, and there's a lot of things, and I, I'm going to try to summarize a lot of them, but I want to just get some of them out to you. So here's an article on CNN. It's called Forget the AI Apocalypse. The Real Dangers Are Already Here. Here's another opinion piece um, that is uh, in the, was in the New York Times. It's a little bit more uh, from the right leaning, um, and it, it talks a lot about the uh, how neoliberalism is is using AI and so on and so forth. Um, and so anyway, just to make sure we have a bipartisan critique here, so I'm giving that to you there. Um, here is an article in the Scientific American titled, uh, We Need Smart in Intellectual Property Laws for Artificial Intelligence. And this is bringing up a very interesting aspect about AI, which I'm going to talk about a little bit more in a second. I just want to get these resources out to you. Here's an article in the Harvard Business Review. Generative AI has an intellectual property problem. And let me put that out um, here for you too, right? I'm just going to give you a ton of resources right now. Here is something I read in Artnet News, where artists and illustrators are suing three AI art generators for scraping and collaging their work without their consent. Um, and so there's a lawsuit going on about that. And then there's a discussion about what's called AGI. I'm also going to talk a little bit more about that. Again, I just want to get these resources out to you right now. AGI is artificial general intelligence. And there is a whole debate going on about AGI. And I'm going to post a few articles about that. The first one is what's AGI and why are AGI experts skeptical? And that's on Wired. Here is another article from the Brookings Institute uh, called How Close Are We to AI That Surpasses Human Intelligence? Um, and then an article on AP looking at the threats of AI and AGI, um, which is called Artificial Intelligence Raises Risk of Extinction, Experts Say in a New Warning. Um, and so I want to talk about that. So anyway, let me get all these resources out to you, and then I'm going to try and have a bit of a summary discussion about them. Uh, the last one, there's one more article I'm going to share at the end. 
Um, but so anyway, as I've read, done a bunch of reading over the past few days and tried to digest a lot of information I could around AI, as well as what I've been kind of keeping up with over the past several months. Um, right. So with the with the publishing or the going online of ChatGBT and people having access to chat with an AI, um, you've probably heard a lot of the both success stories as well as horror stories about uh, chat GBT giving false information and not understanding what's going on, but also how it's really helped a lot of people. And there's a lot of things going on with AI and it's kind of changing the rules of how we work, of how we study and everything else. And of course, there's been this discussion about the threat of AI. And there are a lot of threats and some of them come straight out of uh, uh, science fiction and others are things we're already used to. One of the more basic threats about AI is can AI be used to generate very authentic looking misinformation? And the answer, of course, is yes, right? There's a lot of ways that AI can be used to generate some very authentic looking, whether it's images or graphics or pictures or even content um, that sound like the person they're trying to impersonate or that they're trying to, to um, uh, put put things out in their behalf, right? So there's a lot of ways that AI um, not only has been used, but can be used uh, to um, spread and make misinformation look very authentic. And that is a growing and a very big concern about AI. The other challenge about AI is it is absolutely changing the way we work and the way we study. Right. If you if you are following the strike that's going on in Hollywood right now with both the writers and the actors, one of the things that the writers are striking about is they don't want studios to use AI to generate content, right? To to write scripts because that, of course, will move them out of a job, um, and so they're they're actually looking for protection from that. Um, obviously, there's uh, illustrators and people who don't want AI to begin developing illustrations for movies because that will take jobs away from illustrators. And so there's a lot of ways where AI is threatening um, the workforce and the economy. And advocates are saying it's going to be a boom for the economy. And other people are saying it's going to cause loss of jobs. And right, both of those are very real arguments and discussions that we need to have. Um, the third threat from AI, and this is the uh, science fiction, kind of this, this looming threat of extinction, this comes more from what I've been able to gather is called AGI. Now, AGI is artificial general intelligence. So artificial intelligence is basically, um, it's like you specialize in a certain task and you get really good at it, right? So AI is used in some smart, um, smart driving cars, right, to understand road conditions and, and how to handle traffic and how to read signs and so on and so forth, right? It has a very specific task. Um, you can also have AI that generates things like images or texts or or things like that, which is what we see on ChatGBT, where it takes a lot of information and it kind of can put it together into, into a text format that you can then read and, and, and use uh, as a resource and so on and so forth. Um, so AI is generally very specific to a single or a set of, or, or a specific set of tasks. 
And if you move an AI out of the arena where it's been trained, it generally does has no clue what to do. And so AGI, our, our um, artificial general intelligence is right. Can we actually create something that isn't just really good like at a robot doing a single task, but is good at understanding and reading its environment and its context and then doing things on its own. Can it actually surpass human intelligence? Uh, there was one example, I think it was by an Apple executive, right, who said, can a robot go into anyone's home and make a cup of coffee, right? Because the coffee is going to be kept in a different place. It's going to, the pot's going to be different, a different brand, a different way to do it. It's going to have different um, heights of sinks. And there's <laughs> going to be a lot of different ways. And so to go in, to be able to have the general knowledge to make a cup of coffee in any kitchen you happen to wander into requires a fairly high level of general intelligence, right? The same thing with most of our of our blue collar or even manual labor jobs, right? Where it's especially in the service industry, where you're you're the cashier, you're the host, you're the you're the 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 waiter, the waitress at times, right? You have to have a lot of general information going on, how to do accounting, how to uh, do customer service, how to respond to things, right? You, it's not just one single task you're doing over and over and over again. You're actually asked to do a lot of things uh, the same way. And there are different estimations about, and so right now AI is not very good at artificial general intelligence, right? Most AI has been trained in a very specific way and there's different estimates of how far off we are from an artificial intelligence actually being smarter than a human. And again, there's how do you measure that? And this is where, well, can they beat a human in a standardized test? Can they beat a human in chess? Well, again, those are very specific tasks. Can an AI beat a human in making a cup of coffee in a random kitchen? <laughs> That's a whole nother level of intelligence, right? And so, and so there's a lot of different estimations about how far off we are from an AGI that actually can surpass human intelligence. Um, and so that Wired article that I shared with you, it actually, I think that was the article that talked about um, there was, a, they, they gave a test to an AI and they asked them to give them, I forget the exact thing, like a list of 10 words that had six letters and the letter K was the third letter in each word. And that confused the AI continuously. Um, and it could not do it, even when it had it right it would apologize that it did it wrong and then it would do it again, right? And it was, it was, it didn't have the general intelligence to figure out that level of a command. And, and so this is again where, where, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on. Now you've also probably heard that there's a lot of people warning about the threat coming from AI. And there's been two letters specifically. Um, one of them uh, was a letter that was signed by actually um, he was it was started by let me get his name here um, his name is Jeffrey Hinton who is considered by many to be the godfather of artificial intelligence it was his research at the University of Toronto creating kind of a neural pathway that really helped move AI to the realm where it is now, where it functions much more like a brain 
and he has been working his entire career on developing technology to enhance AI. And over the past few um, uh, years and months, he's actually become very uh, uh, hesitant about AI and is actually working very hard to say, hey, we have to, we have to warn people about AIs. There's a lot of risk here. And, um, you know, we have to make sure that we don't get ahead of ourselves too much. And so this is, this is one of the challenges. And they actually put out a single one-sentence um, warning uh, that they had. Uh, most of the industry leaders sign on to this warning, saying we have to treat artificial intelligence as an existential threat, much like we would nuclear war and global warming, right? Which is there are so many dangers within AI that we need to be very, very careful with it. And we need to begin to prepare for what it could do potentially into the future. Um, and that was one warning that was given by a lot of AI experts. And that was, that was uh, Jeffrey Hinton was one of the first people to, I think he was the first person to sign that, uh, that letter. It was a single one sentence letter. Um, now the, 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 um, Interesting thing about that is there was another letter signed by, I think, about 30,000 other leaders and experts in AI, which caused, which called for a, a pause on AI development to allow governments and industry to basically take a breath and realize what it had on its hands and then um, to, to get some legislation in place and so on to deal with it. Now, again, the interesting thing, and that one was much more like this is a massive threat. We have to be afraid. We have to take immediate action to do something about this. And the interesting thing about that letter is it was highly promoted by Elon Musk, who is literally playing catch up in the AI game right now. He's behind the curve in his companies and in his, in his work, and he was not one of the first to bring it to market. And... Um, OpenAI uh, has been very much at the forefront. They partnered with Microsoft. And of course, Google is doing a lot of work in AI. And neither OpenAI nor Google signed that first letter. But it was signed by a lot of people who are playing catch up. And so you could, on one hand, there's the sense of, well, is this just the people who were beaten to market saying, oh, give us a chance to catch up. Um, we don't really care about the threat. We just don't want to be behind competitively. And that's especially one of the criticisms being leveled against Elon Musk for he has very little integrity to, to talk about this. Some people have said because he has shown very little regard for the threat of AI as he's put it into his cars and even the crashes his cars have because they make poor decisions and they fail and things like that. And so he is probably the last person to be able with any integrity to say, hey, we should pause the development of AI because he's very much pushed the envelope with his Tesla manufacturing company. Um, and so that's the other letter that's been out there. And of course, both of these have gotten, gotten different um, responses from people. But the thing I want to share here at the end is this last article. And it's actually an interview with Jeffrey Hinton by NPR. And it's titled, The Godfather of AI Sounds Alarm About Potential Dangers of AI. And I'm going to put that into the chat right here. 
And I invite you to take a look at that. You can actually listen to it on, on the, that same site as well. It's about a three or four minute listen. And it's an interview with Jeffrey Hinton, and it talks about his work developing AI as well as what he sees as the threat. I forget if it's that article or a different article I read, but one of the things that really kind of put an alarm on for Jeffrey Hinton is when he told an AI he was working with a joke, and the AI understood the joke. And that scared him because it led him to conclude that we were actually closer to an AGI than he thought. Um, he had thought it was much further down the line, um, and this made him realize, no, we could actually be much closer to an AGI, an artificial general intelligence, than he had estimated before, thinking it was 30 to 50 years off, and now maybe it's only a few years off. And so that's when he really began working to kind of sound the alarm about artificial intelligence. Um, now, he was one of the leaders of the people who, who put out this letter saying we need to treat this as a threat like we would nuclear war or global warming. But he did not sign the letter that said we have to stop development of AI. And this is where I want to have the conversation about the distinction between Western and indigenous cultures, right? It was this week that was the anniversary of the bombing, the nuclear bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, right? Where there was, there was a movie that just came out, Oppenheimer. I'm actually hoping to see that today or tomorrow. I want to talk about that later this week or next week where right, we rushed with every ounce of energy we had as a nation to develop a nuclear weapon. And we were firmly in belief that if we could do this, we could end World War II and even said we could bring around some kind of peace and prosperity throughout the world. And without even thinking about it, about what it would mean to have the power to destroy not just human life, but human existence, destroy the world. What developing that kind of power would actually do to us? And they push forward recklessly and blindly, so convinced that they could control this technology and they could develop this thing and use it safely and blah, blah, blah. And of course, that wasn't true, right? We no sooner developed it and we dropped it on two massive cities in Japan, killing hundreds of thousands total of people, right? On par with what the Nazis were doing in their camps during the Holocaust. And this is what we did with that power. We killed hundreds of thousands of civilians with this technology. And we still point to it like it was a good thing. Look, we ended the war. And it, this is the challenge, right? Western culture is so deeply 
ingrained with the idea that it can develop whatever technology it wants and it can use that power in a healthy way and not destroy itself. And so without even pondering the wisdom of doing something like that, it just says, no, we, if we can do it, it's good and we're going to do it and it's going to make the world better. And this, this is a challenge. I want to contrast that. And I, want, I want to share with you another article here. And I was reading this article just the other day. This was in the AP. And there is a tribe, a native indigenous nation in Brazil, who just recently worked hard to fight for the river that goes through their lands to have the rights of personhood, to have the right to legally exist with a healthy amount of trees and clean water flowing through it. And it had the right to exist just like a person would have the right to exist. And they won that. They were able to pass a law granting rights of personhood to a river. Why did they do this? This is actually with a tribe that had in contact with, with Western culture just recently. And ever since that contact, they've been fighting for their own existence as colonizers and loggers have tried to steal their lands and pollute their waters and move them off of their hunting grounds and take over the places where they've lived for hundreds, even thousands of years. And one of the elders in the, in the article said, no, we've had to learn that. We're not going to win this war with bows and arrows. We're going to win it in the courts and by changing the laws. So they actually got a law passed granting their river, which is the lifeline of their people, personhood status, so it can be legally protected. And this isn't the only example, right? You have indigenous people around the world who are not just fighting for their right to exist, who are fighting for the right to live sustainably, right? At Standing Rock, we stood up to our government and told them as clearly as we could, you can't drink oil. Water is life, right? Trying to teach these colonial-minded people who think that their salvation is going to come through their technology, that you can't just blindly develop these things and build these things and not think it's going to have an impact and especially a negative one. Some of you may have heard me tell this story, but years ago I was talking with a friend of mine. He's indigenous. And he was telling me about a conversation um, that his father had. And uh, he was an elder among their people, and they came to his, the, some people came to his father and said, what do you think, right, of the fact that you have this nation that's grown up and, and that's taken your lands and that's colonized your people and has 
implemented boarding schools and ethnic cleansing and removal and all these things. And they've, they, they, they've destroyed most of the things around. How do you feel about that? And his answer was, they'll leave. When the land is no longer economically profitable for them, they will leave. They'll move on to go exploit some other place. And then we, the indigenous people, will nurse our land back to health. That perspective blew my mind. You've heard me say, I, I was reading this, the book Sapiens. This is a few months ago. Talking about the kind of global world history. History of the world. And there were several points in the book Sapiens that really caught my eye. The first one was one of the things that separated Homo sapiens from the rest of the world was when we developed our ability to imagine. What the book was saying was prior to that, right? Sapiens were the middle of the food chain. We were not having a big impact on the world around us. We were, we were surviving, but we weren't dominating by any stretch of the imagination. There were other homo species around us. There was Neanderthal man and others. And they said, you know, when, 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 if you would, and they actually coexisted, there was a number of species of humans around homo sapiens, which is one of them. And said, if you took 10 Neanderthals against 10 homo sapiens, then Neanderthals would win. If you took 20 Neanderthals against 20 homo sapiens, then Neanderthals would win. If you took 50 Neanderthals in against 50 Homo sapiens, the Neanderthals would win. They were stronger, they were quicker, they were tougher. But when Homo sapiens developed the ability to imagine, it gave us the ability to organize our societies beyond the limited capacity of about 100 to 120. If you have a pack of anything, animals, dogs, whatever, they can organize and, and one person or a dominant leader within that pack can, can lead that group up to about 120. And then you, you start to splinter. You, you no longer are physically able to keep that group of people or that size of, 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 of uh, beings, entities, organized together. But with the development of an imagination, Homo sapiens could now organize larger than 100, uh, 120. And so if 10 Neanderthals versus 10 Homo sapiens, Neanderthals would win all the way up to 100, 100 Neanderthals versus 100 Homo sapiens, Neanderthals would win. But then when we could organize 150 Homo sapiens versus 100 Neanderthals, we started winning. And then 200, and then 500, and then 1,000, and then we started winning. And what this book was pointing out was that in a very, very, very short amount of time, Homo sapiens went from the lower half of the food chain to the absolute 
top of the food chain. And this was unnatural, right? It talks about, if you look at a lion, a lion is an incredibly confident animal. Why? Because it's been at or near the top of its food chain for a very long time. And it knows how to conduct itself there. It understands there. It's not overwhelmed. It, it, it knows its position. And Homo sapiens shot to the top of the food chain almost overnight when you talk about evolution. And we were very insecure. We weren't confident in our position. And what they actually traced was that wherever Homo sapiens went around the globe, mass extinction of other plants and animals happened. This wasn't just in Europe, right? All around, including in parts of North and South America, where indigenous peoples were living, right? As Homo sapiens moved out into these places, right? Mass extinction of plants and animals occurred because we were dominating our food chains and driving them to extinction. Now, what fascinates me, and I, the, the book didn't address this, but as I've pondered that, it's like at some point, I think, and I think this is one of the distinctions between Western and European, Western European cultures and colonial cultures, why they became colonial and why indigenous cultures did not become that colonial, is I think at some point, Indigenous cultures must have looked back at the environment and saw what was going on with these mass extinctions and what was happening and realized that if we were going to be who we were, we had to take a much more humble approach. And instead of dominating our environment and overwhelming it with our technology and our mass numbers, we had to learn how to live sustainably within our environment. Whereas European and other colonial cultures just continued to develop technology and weapons and to dominate their environments, which removed them further and further from their connection to creation. Again, the book didn't say this, but as I, I'm like that, there must have been something in there, right? Because how else do you explain this divergent cultural values and worldview? And so it, it, it does not surprise me at all, right, that Western colonial cultures are developing things like artificial intelligence and they're putting all their energy into it. And they're refusing to let their foot off the gas. Even as they acknowledge this is an existential threat. But of course we can't stop. And meanwhile, we have indigenous peoples who are trying to figure out how do we actually save the world we're living in? Not with technology, but with living more sustainably. The first article I shared with you, the, the first article from CNN, right? 
the end of that article, it, it gives a quote by a researcher that they were interviewing throughout the, the, the article. And it said, ultimately, Bender, this researcher, put forth a simple question for the tech industry regarding artificial intelligence. The question was, if they honestly believe that this could be bringing about human extinction, then why not just stop? <laughs> that's, that's the point, right? Western culture doesn't know stop. It's way too arrogant. It's far too confident in itself. Arrogant in itself. Thinking it can develop things. It has no idea what they are or how to control them. And yet it thinks it can use these things to save itself. Meanwhile, it's having decimating impact on the environment and the natural world around it. And that's a major difference between colonial cultures and indigenous cultures is indigenous culture were saying, stop, hold on. Let's figure out how to live in this world sustainably. Let's protect our environment. Whereas Western culture is just moving forward with everything that it has developing its technologies without regard for what that might do to its own existence. Again, it, it's like giving a machine gun to a child. The child doesn't understand the absolute devastation that it can wield with that weapon. And it will absolutely use it irresponsibly. And indigenous peoples are trying to tell that child, slow down, put that thing away. You may have all of this power, but you have very little wisdom to know how to use it. And I think that's the challenge, right? This is why indigenous cultures and peoples are so incredibly important to the continued existence of this world. Yes, we account for the majority of the diversity in languages and in cultures. Even though we're only 5% of the population, we are what brings diversity into this globe. But also without us, this world will just run amok, literally destroying itself in its arrogance, thinking it has the wisdom and the ability to control its own technologies, which it's never demonstrated it has any ability to do that in the past. And so today is International Day of the World's Indigenous Peoples. Today we remember the diversity that we bring into this world, as well as the challenges that we face regarding our own existence, not from ourselves, but from this world we're a part of, as it's colonizing our land and stealing our resources and polluting our environment. 
On one hand, we're fighting merely for the right just to exist as peoples. On the other hand, we are fighting for the continued existence of the entire globe. Because without us, for all of its power, for all of its wealth, for all of its money, for all of its resources, for all of its technology, Western culture does not have the humility or the wisdom to save itself. Hope this is helpful, my relatives. Wanted to just give this perspective on some of these things. There's a lot going on in the world today. A lot of things we need to be discussing. We need to stay on top of these debates regarding artificial intelligence and regarding saving humanity and the environment. I hope this is helpful for you. If you would like to learn more about some of my thinking regarding this, I welcome you to order a signed copy of my book on selling truths, which talks about the doctrine of discovery and its ongoing dehumanizing legacy um, in both the church and in American history. And if you would like to actively support my work and deepen the dialogue, I invite you to uh, consider subscribing to me on Patreon. I have a site on Patreon where I absolutely work to bring these discussions deeper and uh, uh, more interactive. And if you subscribe to any of the tiers on my Patreon site, you can be a part of the conversation that I have going on monthly there. But anyway, I hope all this is helpful. I hope you have a great day, my relatives. Thank you for joining me. Let me just see who's been on here. Um, uh, Awanda, Amanda, sorry, my eyes weren't looking good there. Thank you for joining. I appreciate uh, you being here, and I'm glad this perspective is helpful uh, to you. I hope uh, all of you have a great day. Walk in beauty, my relatives. And may we all learn how to walk in beauty together. Hakonet.